Well, there was a particular time, and it was sort of during the 1980s mainly, there were a lot of progressive people in the area, artists and potters and large-scale farms, people interested in growing their own food. Bev Smiles has been living in a small town 300 kilometres north of Sydney called Woolar for more than 40 years. And most of us had our children at the local school. We used to run an Easter fair, so we'd have music and games and dances and stalls and fun activities, cricket matches, all sorts of things going on. So the community really worked together with everything that happened, and um, it was a wonderful time. But it was just under two decades ago, things started to change in Woolar in a way no one anticipated. And so when people hear the story of what's happened to our community, most people are seriously shocked. Because it's just a, a damning story where the government has not cared at all about our community and our environment. It was in the late 90s, around about 1998, when a real estate agent turned up and started cruising around looking to buy properties. One was a big cattle property and he purchased that property and then started trying to encourage neighbouring properties around to sell. Bev says at first no one took him up on his offer. They loved living there, they had no reason to sell or move away. But it wasn't until later when they found out... ..that this real estate agent was actually an agent for a mining company that was looking to get the exploration licence for the Wilpinjong area. Which would later become the Wilpinjong coal mine. And then it turned out that this coal mine was to supply a secure supply of coal to the largest power station in the state. Into the 2000s, assessments took place to suss out operations for the Wilpinjong coal mine of which Bev says during this time, the community was never consulted. And it wasn't until 2004 where a meeting was held to meet with community members in the Woolar Hall. Hundreds of people turned up to find out what was going on about this mine. We're assured that it would be a good thing for the community. Uh, Lots of people would get jobs there. Businesses would grow in the Woolar area and, and everything would be fantastic. But as people saw that they weren't necessarily being held to their word, how did the town then feel about that? How did you feel about that? Oh, people felt totally betrayed. Uh, I mean, once the mine was approved, and so this was in 2006, and it actually up and running, it was horrendous. I mean, the noise that came out of the mine was far greater than anything that the assessment reports had predicted. So immediately there was one whole valley of local people to the south of the mine were just driven totally mad by it. You know, they were completely not able to function because 
they were being kept awake all night. Plus, people were finding then the houses were getting covered in dust, coal dust getting inside your house and in your kitchen. And one of the other problems the mine had is called spontaneous combustion, which is coal spontaneously catches on fire and you have this really horrific sulphur dioxide smell um, and that was getting into people's houses in the village and uh, making children nauseous and people's lives have just been a total nightmare. Still to this day, the Wilpinjong coal mine is having a drastic effect on the everyday lives of not just those in Wula, but to the surrounding towns and villages in the Hunter region. But the Wilpinjong coal mine isn't the only cause for concern. The Hunter region is one of the biggest hotspots across the country for coal mining operations, to which the effects of the practice are seeping into the lives of more and more Australians each year. Today on the show, we're going to hone in on one area here that occurs as a result of coal mining practice, and that's air pollution. You're listening to Think Sustainability. My name is Jake Morecambe. In 2017, Australia had a historic year for coal exports. We made $56.8 billion off these exports alone according to the latest trade data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. In 2013, we were the fifth largest coal producer in the world, behind the states, China, India and Indonesia. A lot of us today are aware that coal gets a bad rap, knowing that it's not great for the environment. And although we have projections in place for 2020, for example, to limit our national CO2 emissions to around 300 million tonnes... We still don't know exactly how much of that comes from the mining and burning of coal, or exactly how that's all monitored. But what we do know are the pollutants that form as a result of coal. Well, in Sydney, if you had to describe on a bumper sticker what our air quality position was like, you'd say, well, yeah, air quality is generally pretty good. We don't have the problems that other places do. But if you can't see it, it doesn't mean that there's no problem this is Nick Sorowski. Nick coordinates the air pollution subject at the University of Technology, Sydney. And he says in Sydney, there are two pollutants in particular that we should be concerned about. Particulate matter and ozone. Ozone probably rings a bell. You might remember the mantra, there's a hole in the ozone layer. The pollution from our cars, trucks, factories, power plants all contribute to the formation of ozone but particulate matter is something a little different. PM are the little bits of ash and dust containing sulfuric dioxides, nitrogen, ammonia, of which are all expelled from a power plant. But PM also comes from other things, some more natural sources. Exceedances in particulate matter generally come from dust storms and prescribed burning. So dust storms are sort of one of those phenomena that we can't really do a great deal. Prescribed burning, on the other hand, is something that we do have control over because they're intentionally lit fires. In Australia, these pollutants are monitored under legislation released by the Federal Department of Environment, known as NEPMs. 
National Environment Protection Measures, and these NEPMs set standards for criteria pollutants. Particulate matter actually make up two of these pollutants. PM10 and PM2.5. The other five species, well, four of them are gases, ozone, NO2, SO2. NO2, nitrogen dioxide, SO2, sulfuric dioxide. And carbon monoxide. Um, And then the seventh regulated pollutant is lead. So these emissions are monitored by the Federal Environment National Pollutant Inventory to minimise their impact on public health. So for the industries that emit the above, the inventory is like their overseer. If an industry emits above a threshold, they have to report those emissions to the inventory and they also need to provide a description of the air pollution control measures. You tell me how much you emit, you tell me what pollution control measures are there. But this whole monitoring process is where the line begins to blur, because if an industry exceeds their emission standards, there aren't a whole lot of consequences. And how efficient are those standards? Extraordinarily inefficient. (laughs) This is James Whelan. James works with Environmental Justice Australia as a researcher and community networker for people affected by things like coal mining operations. If motor vehicles go over 100 kilometres an hour, there are consequences. People are fined, people are prosecuted and even have their licences removed. By comparison, in the Hunter Valley where coal mines and coal-fired power stations are causing exceedances of the national standards. The state government here in New South Wales is doing very little, if you know, you could say much at all, really, to control air pollution there. In New South Wales, between 2000 and 2008, over 3,000 pollution licence breaches were recorded, but only six of those actually made it to court. James believes that there is a strong aversion to prosecuting when it comes to a breach of licence, which is apparent in the case of the Araring power station near Lake Macquarie in New South Wales. The Araring coal-fired power station is Australia's largest coal-fired power station. It's more than 20 years old. The power station has a coal ash dam that contains hundreds of thousands of cubic metres of coal ash, the, the byproduct of burning coal. That coal ash has a nasty tendency to dry out and blow in the wind. Lots of members of the community made complaints to the EPA in New South Wales. The EPA investigated and found the coal ash had dried out and was blowing over the community. They instructed the company that runs the Raring to control that ash, and they fined them. But the fine was $15,000. That's one of the larger fines. You can imagine pretty readily $15,000 is not enough to act as a, a deterrent to that power station or motivate them to control their pollution as well as they might. Given that there is just this growing pool of evidence to show that air pollution is having this hazardous effect on human health, shouldn't that prompt to hold these people accountable or hold these power plants accountable for their emissions? There is a growing awareness of the health problems from power stations and ranges from what might seem fairly innocuous health impacts, you know, a sore throat, sore eyes, irritated respiratory tract, but extends all the way through to reduced birth weight, increased probability of preterm birth and premature death. More than 3,000 Australians dying prematurely each year. 
the state and territory governments have the powers that they need to vastly improve the license conditions for major polluters such as power stations and mines. They're not using those powers. And there is in New South Wales a system of load-based licensing where a fee is, a, is charged on a polluter according to the amount of toxic pollution they emit. The power stations in New South Wales currently pay each of them between a million dollars and four or five million dollars each year. That fee, although it might sound like a lot, hasn't been enough to act as a deterrent. The medical professionals we consult with suggest that those fees should be multiplied by as much as 50. They should be increased by as much as 50 times so that the, the fees that the polluters are paying act as a genuine deterrent and really motivate them to do everything they can to reduce pollution. Then you'd see the older, inefficient power stations closed. I was standing next to the Bengala coal mine 36 hours ago, emitting so much coarse particle pollution it was difficult to see more than a kilometre. The air was swirling with particle pollution and it was quite hazardous. Left to their own devices, the, the miners will press on and the EPA, unless they're receiving lots of community concerns and people phoning in to make complaints, probably won't step in, not, not on a weekend in any case. someone that's been seriously concerned about the impacts of climate change for you know a long period of time for at least half of my life uh, the fact that the government is prepared to continue approving coal mines I think this New South Wales government will have a lot to answer for coming up next will our resident Bev smiles is arrested while pushing for the closure of the Wilpinjong mine. Why have you stayed? Why have I stayed there? Well, yeah, I'm at a crossroads in my life now as to making those decisions. Well, if I do decide to leave, is my property worth anything? You know, attracting someone to buy into an area that no longer has any of the services that it had before made it very difficult to even contemplate who would want to buy into the area. And so we're stuck. As the Wilpingjong coal mine began to expand, the town centre of Wula slowly started to fade away. All of the services were bought out by the mining companies. The churches, the shop selling hardware and mechanics, the grocery store turned into a little food hut selling pies and coffee, mainly for the miners and contractors in the area. The fire brigade was amalgamated with another brigade some 40 kilometres away, and Bev is even concerned about the postal service shutting down altogether. There's hardly anyone left. Those of us that are left are left at a totally socially and economic disadvantage because now everything that we could get in the village, we have to drive into Mudgee, with, so it's over a 100-kilometre round trip to just go and get a tyre fixed or something like that. 
Bev has spent the better part of the last 15 years pushing back against the mine and its expansion, but her efforts all came to a head in April of last year. We decided to go and blockade the front entrance of the Wilpingjong mine at shift change, and uh, that was just a very simple protest. We weren't on mine property. A group of people from the local area and some supporters came and we just stood across the entrance with some banners and signs and um, the police were called, of course, and we were charged under the Roads Act of obstructing the road, which we fully understood that that was going to be likely to be what we're charged with. But we were also charged under the new... We were the first people in New South Wales to be charged under the new amendments that the Baird government had pushed through at the request of the mining and gas industry to toughen up the Crimes Act in the area of interfering with a mine. These anti-protest laws give police new powers to search and detain protesters, but also expand the offence of interfering with a mine, which covers both extraction and coal seam gas exploration sites. What ups the ante with these new laws, though, is the penalty, which can see those charged facing up to seven years in jail. Bev and two other protesters on the day were all charged under this new act, along with another offence under the Crime Act and one under the Roads Act for obstructing traffic, receiving three charges in one day. Bev is also embroiled in another legal battle with Peabody, the operating company behind the Wilpingjong coal mine, and was due in court twice in the same week in which we spoke, back in early February. How are you feeling about tomorrow? Tomorrow meaning the Woolar Progress Association, the group in which Bev is part of, challenging the expansion of the Wilpingjong mine. Well, we're, we're fairly confident. We've got a very good legal team. We know the company's quite nervous about facing the case. And, uh, yeah, all we can do is hope for a good outcome. And when it came to the legal action against Bev herself for protesting the Wilpingjong coal mine, I wanted to ask, how do you feel about the fact you have to go to court on Friday over this? Well, I mean, you know, it was a bit of, it was a bit of a surprise to find ourselves being the first people to be arrested and charged under these new laws. It's an absolute outrage what's happening in New South Wales and a lot of people don't understand that. And, uh, you know, we've got communities suffering because of the expansion of the coal industry and, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to make a stand on that. On Friday the 9th of February, Bev Smiles and her two fellow protesters pled not guilty to their charges after their protest. They stated one of the reasons behind their protest was the Wilpingjong coal mine had just been approved for its seventh expansion in 11 years. The court's decision will be finalised in June of this year, and although the mine shows no sign of slowing down, Neither do those pushing back in the hunter. You know, if I have to go to jail, I'll go to jail because I just think, uh, look, I'll just do whatever I have to do um, to support my community and get my community's story out there and I just think it's an important thing to do. 
That's it for Think Sustainability. If you enjoyed the show and are not already, don't forget to subscribe to us. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Think Sustainability. For more info, you can also jump onto our website at 2ser.com forward slash Think Sustainability. This show is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Jake Morecambe, and I'll see you next time.